Welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galina. Henrietta continues to be out on medical leave, and I am continuing with my veteran fashion talent series. And I have to thank you all for your feedback on this series. It's been so much fun to do. And I am so excited this week to have our esteemed guest, creative director and stylist Karen Binns from London. And welcome, Karen, to the conversation. Hi, Jason. You know, I'm really humbled and, and really, you know, excited to be a part of, you know, this series of conversations because I know how much this means to you about getting, you know, the real news to everyone, not just, you know, people that we think or say or feel are part of the uh, fashion industry because it's not just the fashion industry that decides, you know, what we do, where we go, and the trends we jump on top of. So, you know, I'm very excited that, you know, number one, you've invited me. I'm able to have something to say. We can sit down. Well, you always have something to say, Karen, something of, of interest to say, and I'm looking forward to all the things that you have to say in this, in this conversation that we're about to have. And for the audience, as is the case with uh, many of the guests that we that I'll have on this series, um, we have longstanding relationships because we have to understand that this industry is relatively insular. It's definitely small. And for global navigators in the fashion space, as we have been, Karen, over the last, you know, 20 to 30 years, let's say, we know each other. And never mind, you know, let's, I have to put this out there, Karen is the genuine article, the real deal, and a fierce fashion person like yourself does not go unnoticed in the world. And so uh, <laughs> it makes sense That's that we nice would know say. each other. Say that again. That's nice to say. <laughs> well, but, 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 but in fact, that is very much the truth, Karen. And I think, you know, at the conclusion of the conversation that we'll have, our, the audience, well, for those who do not know you, will get a much wider sense of your contribution to this industry and just your contribution to culture, full stop. And without further ado, let's just, let's just dive right into this here for this third installment, Karen. As I said on the onset, that you are a, you're a creative director and a stylist, and we're going to journey through your career highlights and your contribution and perspective on the industry. But up front here, Karen, give, a, give me a little synopsis of your work and, and, you know, sort of your titling. Well, you know what? I started out, you know, Brooklyn, and I would probably consider myself an 80s girl. You know, I was I was fortunate to be born in a time when it was the first transition of, re, you know, making a rebirth to what was vintage and streamlining it and developing it into a more modern, you know, template. That's when, you know, the 1950s became pop culture. So I was like, I was, you know, so excited in my early 20s to be a part of the 80s because that's when things we also became more synthesonic in music, synthesonic in, in, in technicolor and, and the way we dressed and the way we looked. You know, it was the beginning of the 1940s in super technicolor um, to the moon. So, you know, I'm really fortunate to be a part of the development and change of the way fashion went. Um, I, I started out, you know, selling clothes on Canal Street. And because my hair was bright orange and because I was a black girl with bright orange hair. And at that time, black girls that weren't, just weren't doing it. It had a lot to do with the fact that I was influenced by ID Magazine, The Face, and anything that came from the other side of the water. And I decided I would, I would no longer be a part of the regular, you know, everyday black girl from Brooklyn, you know, who straightened her hair and went to church on Sunday and only listened to R&B. I became a new waver. I became a pseudo-punk. You know, I, I, I made sure to, to see what was going on downtown uh, and to understand the global scene that developed there, which is uh, at a club called Mud Club. And I started my whole journey by buying, you know, the, a magazine called The Manipulator. And Interview Magazine, 
And I told myself the day I meet Andy Warhol will be the beginning of who Karen really is. And Andy Warhol did come to your life at that. At, at, yes, at, oh, completely. No, no, completely. Oh, completely. And at that moment, I was, uh, I was, you know, engaged in every sentence of Village Voice. So right. through the Village Voice, it allowed me to see what's going on downtown, research it, make sure I, I, I arrived one way or the other. And, and I did this on a very one-on-one basis. I was not a part of a crew or had the necessity to be a part. I wanted to be a learner, to, to investigate and to understand, you know, the global trends. And if I wanted to be a part of that world. And at, at that time, I met uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, which I was an extremely close friend and, and confident and somewhat of one of his muses. And this was an introduction to the art world, which also introduced me to Warhol. And at that point, that's when I started to see that nightlife was my gateway to the rest of the world. And at that time, I wasn't thinking of working for, you know, like Condé Nast magazines or anything like that. I just thought that, you know, to be more radical would be more interesting. So I uh, started a club called Soul Boys with three with two Jamaicans and a Trinidadian and a Greek guy. And we did the first, first warehouse illegal parties on 23rd Street. And we got so well known because the English people that actually moved there from London loved what we were doing because for them, it was a very British thing to do. And at that point, we had got so popular that the the nightclub at the moment called Area, which was a nightclub spaced around art, culture, invited me and my crew from uh, Soul Boys team to do nights there. Now, this really blew up who I really was. Uh, when we started doing that, we stopped our club. We did theirs once a month at, at Area. And then I started doing all the doors. I worked with Suzanne Bosch, which was a real introduction to the whole Brit scene that was happening then um, in, in New York City downtown. And this uh, was an engagement for me to meet designers, photographers, celebrities, because when you're working at the right door and you're giving the right feeling at the same time, you're that bitch from the hood. (laughs) It becomes a very interesting backdrop. So when people actually heard me speak, but saw the way I look, this is how I connected with, you know, the more of a global traveler. You know, that did everything from from I guess from Warhol to David Bowie. You know, everyone came to the clubs that I was doing the doors at because I made sure that when I did the door inside was interesting, subtle and safe. So, you know, it's it's a great thing to come from that era because you have a, a strong mixture of the art world. I mean, the real art world mm-hmm. and um, the fashion industry. You know, there were people coming to the door. I had no idea there were from Mario Testino to Grace Jones. I mean, everyone. And, you know, this was like a melting pot downtown. Also, which is a very important thing, because we had Andy as an Andy Warhol, we had someone to actually say, that is a piece of shit. This is great. So we had someone to actually speak on things that were either a waste of time and a waste of, of space and bad taste or something that was groundbreaking, interesting, and quite brilliant. And I knew and felt when Warhol died, New York City died, because no one was there to carry through what he actually created, which was a point of view. And, you know, I learned a lot from that idea of a very strong point of view. A point of view being, you have the receipts of understanding what happened in the past that was brilliant, in order to enhance what was going on to the future. Well, and, and on that point, Karen, I want, to, I want to pause you there because I want the audience to register what you just expressed in, 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 such, in that rich delivery right there. You spoke about the evolution of fashion design and the influence of the 40s and the 50s on the 80s, <laughs> on, on 80s fashion and sensibility <laughs> and culture. Yeah. Like for the, 
people don't necessarily speak in these ways, in these in these terms, <laughs> Karen. So I want to make sure that the audience is registering this. And also, you took us on an, a, an epic, <laughs> in that brief sort of delivery there, you took us on an epic journey of New York culture from nightlife to fashion. And you spoke about an organic, about an organic culture that ultimately influenced decades and 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 continue to have influence on culture so i really want to make that registration clear right up front here right <laughs> and that's a funny thing because <clears throat> we're living in a generation where no one has to to have an idea then to follow through it in an organic way you have you tap one button and all information is given to you without any depth. So it doesn't allow you to dive into something that really excites you. It doesn't. You can get all the information in one in, in one hour. And absolutely, with literally the click of a button. But I'm going to actually accelerate to a question that I had later in the in the conversation, and and that is about credit. Does credit yeah. actually matter, Karen? Does credit matter? I feel it will always matter. Credit for me equals the receipts. Okay. I want to see them. I want to understand them. I want to know because so much credit has been stolen, taken, rinsed out, and 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 disintegrated into foolishness. So this is something that's scary because the future cannot obtain depth and great ideas if it disintegrates things and dis and disembow disembowels them in such a way that you don't even feel the brilliance of it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like no one even cares to feel excited or feel the brilliance of anything because it's just thrown at them at every second of the day without the reason behind it. So you know yeah I mean for me that's I just think, wow, like, thank God I grew up at that time because I will have the most incredible memories of having depth to any idea or any feeling that I was excited by. I had the chance to feel that. I just took your statement as a, <laughs> as a personal confrontation. I have to tell you, I was just like, oh, is she reading me for my jadedness? Because I... I oh, you know. Because <laughs> I hear you. No, but, no, no, you're on the same page. Well, that's it. But, but, well, precisely. You understand it. Precisely that. Precisely that. But I, I, I heard what you said and I was just like, oh my gosh. Yes, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree because yes, sometimes I... I feel, especially in this age, that I'm so blasé about things. My, my, I'm rolling my eyes because I'm just like, you know, the 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 rigor, the rigor of that expression is not understood. The value, the core of it, is not understood. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm absolutely right there with you. And you know, Jason, Jason, when I first met you in Paris years ago, you were the first, somewhat, quote unquote. You weren't really an influencer because influencing was not enough for you as a brand. Let's keep it 100. Okay. Okay. Influencing, you were a fashion business, I don't want to say collaborator, but I want to say, you know, you were that, you were like the CNN of fashion. You would tell both sides, you, and because your taste was such a naturally organic, taste of of so many different cultures and and so many you were the first non-binary i had ever met so for me you you still had that chance to feel the depth of your idea to deliver it flawlessly and you were an inspiration i remember seeing you in paris and you were wearing heels with a suit and it was like you went screaming from the top of the roof Look at me. Feel sorry for me. Oh, my God. You were like, I'm here. What's good? My name is Jason. In here. <laughs> but, with, but with the intelligence of a curator, the intelligence of a proper reporter, the taste of a guru. So let's, let's call it what it is. And that right there has become 
the idea that I said before, diluted, disintegrated, disavowed, like whatever. And now it's become a circus of empty ideas, of emptiness, and there's no core. There's nothing. I want to fucking cry or I want to be angry, but I want to feel some, some kind of real organic emotion. I don't want to think that the whole world is blah, 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 blah. You know, so let's take it and keep it 100. You were the first that created that space, which is now BOF. Let's keep it cute with no shade here. There's no shade. But, you know, you also, you inspired influencers, but they got the wrong impression. They thought because they were rich and their dads can buy them designer clothes and buy them tickets to Paris, that that meant influencing. No, 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 no. The Jason Report had all of that with depth, with knowledge, with proper research, not over-research to death, you know, booklets of zero-ness, but just enough research to get the point of view across properly. Well, Karen, I appreciate you recounting this period. And, you know, I was a young I was, and, and thank you for that. And, and, I, and, I do, and I do think it was important. But at the time, I have to say, I, I took that route <laughs> because of doing the JC report. And what Karen is speaking about, and that we have spoken about it here in this forum, is I, I was the publisher of the JC report. It's my namesake, the Jason Campbell report. I did it for 15 years. And for, as a shortcut to explanation, it was the precursor to the business of fashion. So essentially, I, I, I had a, a stable of writers, and including myself, who, was, who wrote, and at the stable of writers who covered essentially the world of fashion, trends, influence, and so forth. And it really made significant inroads in the industry, was read by everyone. And it was the leading, it was the leading, the, the first and the leading digital publication in this space. And I took that route, Karen, because I recognized very early what fashion comprised of. I recognized that there was, you know, in many ways, you have to sell your soul to the devil in order to ascend, you know, the ranks in this industry. And I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a humble Jamaican guy from very good stock. I wasn't about to do that. That's not how I was raised. And that wasn't what I was interested in. And so I took the route of developing, I, you know, this is the hubris of a young, of a young person as well. I developed a publication with where I felt that I could deliver information, valuable information to an audience, particularly information that wasn't saturated in the fashion space. And that was the time where, you know, there was a lot of collusion with, actually, that was the beginning of the uh, dissolution, if you will, of, of real, rich, authentic uh, content. And so there was a lot of collusion between brands and, and, and publications. And I was particularly not interested in this. I wanted to have a clear point of view, an unpolluted point of view, and uh, and a singular and a singular one. And I am glad I had that space and that time and the wherewithal just to do that. So yes, I, I appreciate you recounting that period because in many ways that space has been highly, highly corrupted since since that era. Yes, absolutely. Oh, sure. Highly, highly, highly corrupted. Sure level, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, you were like the pioneer of the person that felt, and you were very young. I was very young. And you were very, very young. And you pioneered the new way of getting this information. Like, we always had the super corporate version, which was WWD. Right. And we still will read WWD because they're very dedicated to the, you know, to the industry. But it is a corporate uh, point of view. It just always will be. Because it has to yes. be. You, on the other hand, gave us a more underground organic viewpoint and it's also a viewpoint coming from someone of a very strong culture that's just non-white okay. so let's you know let's keep that cute and let's keep that 100 because at the end of the day these are the people that spend more money on fashion why because we have to constantly prove that we are eligible that we are recognizable as someone of a means of money, means of being a consumer. We have more to prove. We might not have the biggest house, but we forgot the biggest wardrobe. 
because we cannot do what they just did, you know, today, which is at storming the Capitol. We can't go out like that. We're not expecting no, we So we will always have to spend more money on clothes. We keep the industry alive. And for WWD not to still state that as a fact is okay because we had the JC report to remind you and let the children know. That's I I I, I love that 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 recounting of history. But I want to get let's 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 get into your let's get into your history though here, uh, Karen, because it is okay. it's robust, it's rich, and I there as long as I've known you, there's still areas that I want to know about that is just not out there in the world. And in I have okay. I, I have a you know I have my own <laughs> perception on on where you fall in culture, but I want this to be revealed uh, through a conversation. And you may have a very, very, very different perspective um, from myself. So let's dive into it here. Okay, Karen, although you are, you're an American, you have lived in London for nearly, for nearly 30 years. Now, how, how has your experience as a black professional residing in London differ from the American black experience and perspective as it relates to fashion and beyond? Well, I mean, and I've said this to quite a few people. I feel that for the last 10 or 15 years, being a person of color in the fashion industry has just one avenue. It just has one category, which for me is insulting Mm -hmm. and degrading. And it gives me such a narrow road right now that it's, it's disheartening and it makes me nervous. When I came to London, the reason why I came to London, because I was just too alternative for New York City. Just the fact the way I colored my hair, the fact of the way I listened to music and the kind of music I liked, my point of view was just too alternative. So they couldn't really put me anywhere. I could never work for Elle because I didn't sound like that. You know, I was still that bitch from the hood, but my taste level was, was of someone who was much more global. So I didn't want to go down the route of, of being a fake um, black girl, white girl from Scarsdale. I was from Brooklyn. I was very proud of it. But at the same time, because I was so alternative, I knew I had no other place to go but to Europe. Of course, London was always my favorite because London, for me, had the biggest influence on my look, the way I thought about fashion, the way I thought about art. You know, and the way I was always, you know, embodying youth culture. I thought the youth culture here was more radical, more exciting, and it allowed me to express myself in the in in the most how can I say the most organic way without mm. fear. So the at the at the same time, coming from New York City, you know, I'm from that type of family, you know, father drug dealer, standard, standard did not stop me from understanding what luxury is, did not, did not stop me from understanding how important it is to travel and to open my mind because as a black woman, you will always have to work harder and know more and do more to exist. You just do. It's just something you accept when you're born and you have to get on with it. So for me, coming from New York, of course, was probably exciting from the people in London, but I had always had my own world and my own backdrop. Also, working with Andre Walker, meeting him one night in the Roxy was really exciting because I had already purchased a lot of his pieces in uh, Pat Fields. And when I met him, I met him in maybe 80... And, and you were speaking about the, the designer, Andre, Andre Walker. I was the designer, Walker, Andre Walker. Sorry mm-hmm. about that. Who, you know, who's in probably one of the most incredible talents of our time. We, we clicked immediately. And, you know, it's not like I was styling or designing anything, but I was there as a part of his, a part of his world. And, of course, conversations happen, and we all influence and inspire each other. That was a very exciting time. Also, because we didn't have to have labels of stylist, assistant. We just had, we worked with these people. This helped me to become a lot more organic in all my other choices. So did I have a label or not have a label? Did it matter? I worked and did things 
accordingly that came to me and that I would attract. And was London, was sort of exposing yourself to London or rather having London exposed to you, did that change the, the currency? Did race become less of an issue? And because you, you started to find your tribe, your alternative tribe, you essentially had creativity and that was the tribal link. I, I, I don't want to sort of impose that on you, but did, yeah. that, did that change the, the currency? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something that was really interesting. I remember being in New York City and I was maybe 1980, my first introduction kind of like to see what English people were like. I remember going to the Mud Club. At the time, I think I was meeting someone that worked at Fiorucci uptown, and it was an English girl who I met at the Mud Club. And she had worked at Fiorucci, and all she talked about was these two friends of hers that she thought would be great if I met them. And she just said their names. And when I arrived, one was Chinese and one was Black. And what I could remember... I mean, this is what really stuck into my head. She never mentioned what they were. She just said their name and that how they were cool and how they were beautiful. That allowed me to see that maybe, did I have a color issue? And if this is an English girl that introduces her friends just by their name and not by what they are, it, t- it gave me the lesson to myself to think, wow, if this is how they're doing it in London, that's where I need to be because no one's going to call me black girl Karen. They're just going to call me Karen. And that was my opening to understanding, wow, is there really a world out there like this? Like, do people actually behave this way? Like, wow. That small detail, that small detail opened me into understanding that I can be a part of a real art fashion scene that has okay. no color. Okay, that's the clarification I wanted. That which is a which is an important sort of a eureka moment. That could that, that's a that it sounds like it was a eureka moment for you in your in your professional in your it professional was. ascent. Okay, well speaking about let's let's continue on this sort of like community building or you know the people that you came into contact with. You are you are super well connected. I, I I know of your connections, and it continues to this day, Karen. You're you're connected to some of the industry's bold-faced names, including Kanye West, Kim Jones, Ricardo Tishi, Mark Jacobs, and so forth. Yet you remain relatively a cult figure, not necessarily a popular one. Was that by design, Karen? I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if I am a cult figure or not. I mean, I just think that I've been through so many different scenes. And, you know, once you're part of the Jean-Michel Basquiat Warhol world, you are undeniable. You know, that is your stamp of approval. You don't get a better stamp. Right, but Karen, I have to, I have, so, I have to make the, I yes, but I do have to make the observation though, you know, for example, you know, you being amused to, to Basquiat and the association with Warhol, we know, we know Picasso's muse, muses, for example, we know the, the Dormars and we know the Francois Gillot and these kind of muses from Picasso. And we also know the factory, you know, we also know the factory kids of Warhol, let's be honest, primarily white children. Is there something to, yeah. you know, the, the sort of lack of immortalization in as a muse for such a figure as, as a Basquiat? Because you know why? Because I, I remember from the time I was saying at the beginning, we never put labels on what we did and how we did it. We just were in it. So what we did was not to be Instagram to talk about. We did it because at the moment it was beautiful to do. So, you know... Like for it, just just an example, at the time when I was, you know, still in New York City, I got married to a guy who was from London and his name was Harry Benz. And he worked at Comme des Garçons. And I knew that Comme was one of Jean-Michel's favorite, you know, brands because he was always in there. He used to buy me things all the time. And I remember uh, my husband asking me by Ray Caracubo, could we possibly get Jean-Michel to walk in the show? Now, right there, that's about five connections. That's five connections right there. So they got to ask my husband to ask me to get one of the most important artists of the time to walk in their show. This is a fashion show. He doesn't need to walk. 
So he did it only to make sure that I was going. So that was his, that was his criteria and, and for him to get paid. And that right there was about. But also you have to, but you also have to recognize, (laughs) you also have to recognize in that how early that those sort of synergistic things and also like careers have developed by certain roles that was played in that equation. And you have a casting agent, you have a VIP model. I mean, there's so many different variables that like has, you know, that as, as the industry evolved, like there, there are like different buckets of careers right there in that, in that connection. And you know, that usually I would have been booked to book him. That would have been money in my pocket. Then money, and then I would have got. It, it's a whole scenario, but we whatever we did, we just did it for fun. We did it because we could do it, not because we were trying to be fierce. We were already fierce. We don't have to prove it to anybody; just prove it to ourselves. Next thing I know, we're in Paris and we're having a good time. That was enough for us then. Then there's 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 a time when I used to see um, Mike Jacobs with the long hair. It was the most beautiful. Beautiful boy you could ever see. I worked the door at Kiki Galinky. I met everyone at that door. Not Kiki Galinky, excuse me, Suzanne Barch. I met everyone at that door because everyone, before they became who they were, were coming to these clubs. And then they came. I was dressed in some getup that was um, a film I might have saw the night before. So I was getting I'm sure. I, I so because of that life, yeah, I mean, and, and to be a black girl I was the only black girl on the door. I was the only, I was the first black girl on the door. And who did that? Suzanne Barge. Why? Because she didn't see color. This is when I knew Europe was for me. This is when I knew Europe was for me. And I was a very strong door person. I did it with um, Kenny Kenny, who was young and who was Irish from, from, from London. And, you know, you had someone like him and then you had someone like me. People had no idea where I was from until I opened my mouth and realized I was from Brooklyn. And I always enjoyed, you know, slightly freaking people out because letting them know we are not just one category, which brings me back to the whole category of the long wig and the pole dancing outfit. That is not a category for me. We got to We got to have a... And that to me is like, are you for real? Are you serious? Like, is that really what you think we are only here for? And then when you copy it, you think you're being black? We got to have a whole podcast on this because we actually haven't spoken about that feature. Do not get me started on the leotard as the leotard as the go-to performance gear. Do not get me started on that right now, Karen. We're going to have to, we're going to have to have a... I think everybody... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think everybody has the right to, to, to be who they are and I'm not here to knock anything. I just don't like it when also the fashion industry decides to adapt it to being what's cool because they don't really want the people of color that have a more collective and eclectic taste value no. to get on top because then we become real, really competitive. Then they can't mess with you. When you have culture, you automatically tap the box of luxury. You cannot buy okay. it. You must have it. Cannot be purchased, right? Um, the, the word culture is a luxury. If you're not from a very strong culture, you always have to look for some of it. You always have to add it. You always have to add the flavor, <laughs> the hot sauce, whatever it takes. Because at the end of the day, that's what gives you life. You can see it today. So, you know, that whole time allowed me to really be enriched with what culture really meant to me. One minute I would be, you know, the girl from the islands. The next minute I would be the girl who uh, read Freud. The next moment I was the girl in the boat who felt that she was was drowning. You know, like there were so many emotionally organic looks that were going on. I wanted to be an art form. You know, I was obsessed with Cindy Sherman. So every time someone saw me as a black girl, I was never one category. That's really the beginning of what Karen oh, is. That we don't we have as many Karen, I can't help but to think. I can't help but to think, you know, about Viola Viola. 
you're making so much sense. sense. You're making yeah. so you're making an incredible amount of sense. And what I'm thinking, I'm drinking in all that you are imparting to me. I'm literally taking these big gulps of like of these like just this rich information that you're giving me. And I can't help but to think of Viola Davis's speech. And she speak that infamous speech of hers. And I think I even saw it on your page at one time where she speaks to her. Okay, oh, she wait, speaks to her accomplishments, not unlike those of the Meryl Streets, of the Julian Moore, of the Sigourney Weaver. She stated that she, you know, she came up through the similar ranks, you know, the Yale educated, the Juilliard, the NYU, and then broke into Hollywood. However, her rewards in money and opportunity pales in comparison to her white peers. Are you a fashion equivalent? Are you, are you a fashion equivalent? Right. Are you, <laughs> I can't help but to think that. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm, I mean, I don't know. I think there's not just me. So I would speak for all of those that who feel like me and who understand what I'm trying to say. And what I'm trying to say is some people get the breaks. Some people don't. It's not for us to be mad at anybody. But it's for us to constantly. But do you think? But do you think that you have received the level of respect that you deserve? Um, okay. I wonder. I wonder nowadays what respect really is. Respect is when you put me on. I don't want to hear that. Okay. I'm, I'm all right. so okay. That's got nothing to do with anything. And let's break the. Let's break down the vernacular though. That's let's break let's break down the vernacular though, Karen. You know, putting you on means that literally employ me, hire me, give me work, a lot yeah. give me yeah. space to show my creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's what you mean by putting me on. Right. Give me okay. the chance. Honey, just put me put me okay. on. Put me in the room. Give me a chance. Give me the equal chance. That's the ticket. The equal chance, not the you're doing me a favor chance. I was speaking to someone the other day, and they said, Karen, they asked me to put myself up for something. And then they stated how three other people might have been put up for a similar thing. And I said, Well, they have to speak more. Do they have to give more in order to get the chance? And that person said, Well, no, or maybe not. And I know that no matter what, I will still have to add more, give more, push more. It doesn't matter if if I have good taste or bad taste or not. To me, to be honest, bad taste is making more money than <laughs> because everybody's so afraid to say anything. So you know, that, you know, I've also designed collections. I've done so much, and if I even show one my one of my collections to someone in order to get work. Someone else will show them three collections that look like it should be, I don't even, what should I say, Walmart? And because they have a, a different hair color, they're a different race, they will get the job. This is real. This is 100. And at the end of the day, respect for me, really, look at what I'm doing. Don't look at my shoe size or my clothing size or my color. Look at the work. The work now have you been how are you how are you i mean we have to well no no hold it hold a second you know i have to recognize that we are in a pandemic so this question you know you have to sort of like manage it but yeah. how are you occupying spaces yeah. differently since the racial reckoning has began to be honest it's been the best because now everyone has to hand out a receipt of what they're not mm. doing <laughs> okay so lately i've been since the pandemic i actually hit people up like i've never hit them up before and said well basically i think it is time that you that i, okay. have, I have a similar chance because right now in in your books there's not enough of us there and if there is there's only one type it's either okay. a super africana but definitely not a black american and definitely not a woman especially if she's alternative. So I'm sorry I'm not a girl that just jumps around in trainers and does sportswear. Okay, so that means if you want to start ticking your boxes, it's time to tick the box. Oh, I, I heard that. Okay, okay, this is this is the headline. It is time to tick the boxes with Karen Bates. Okay, I, I want that to be out there. 
in bold, bold letters. But no, Karen, you can... You can demand, I mean, you're not even asking for a seat at the table, but you can demand and and um, and identify the role that you have played in this industry over this period of time. But now we are, you know, we're dealing with like a, a, a wider in- industry with younger people of color who are participating in this conversation, participating in the output. Going forward, do you estimate that our voices, collectively speaking, are trained to the extent that will continue to confront injustices as they happen? Are the voices that empowered? Or it's we're, we're still feeling, we're still in the glow of the recent happening? Well, you know, I think, that, I think there's a few different voices. So I guess there, there has to and needs to be room for all of us. Just like there's room for all types of voices in the white community. So the thing is, we have to understand we all need to give each other room and give each other space opposed to narrowing those doors. You've got these uh, so many Black coalitional fashion groups that do not really have the taste level to be stating the facts of in fashion through the eyes of a Black Karen, keep it 100, please. Please do. Keep it 100. So at the end of the day, this is a time for all of us to give each other the equal space, the space for, you know, the new kids on the block that are, for me, just a Crosby kid version of fashion. I'm not mad at them. They're cute. They need to be involved because there's a white Crosby person, white, you know, Crosby kid person as well. So there's that. Unfortunately, that's taken up most of the space, which is frightening. Because that means it doesn't allow the alternative black kids to come through and say, right, we have the voice for this side of our culture, uh, which is what I would represent. Now, lately, just to break it all down very quickly, I now work with the BFC, British Fashion Council on Diversity and Inclusion as a panelist and as a mentor. I am now uh, been asked to to start the conversations on race itself within the fashion industry with an amazing girl. Yes, we know, we know Kenya, we know Kenya. Amazing. She's a lovely, lovely professional. Absolutely fabulous. She's one of the most intellectual young black Mm -hmm. people. Shout out to Kenya and congratulations on your book. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Kenya Hunt. She also does, her book is Major Girls, Girls, Girls. And she uh, also has been running for a very long time with no Instagram coverage. Let's check that on a, a platform called Room. And this is for all young Black creatives, whether they are alternative or commercial or corporate. And all together as a melting plot, she has organized a lot of people like me as uh, mentors to them to just tell them how it really is. Because, of course, we're also in the age of the millennial who's quite spoiled and who doesn't really feel that they need to have any receipts to do anything. They want instant success. They want to jump in front of me and you without the know-how, without the knowledge, just because they feel that they should. So what we're doing now is mentoring. We're letting them know, okay, you can do that if you have the talent, but please try to add more depth so you can last longer. So you don't fall down if someone says they don't love what you do, which is what we have. Because we're used to not hearing all the yeses that people are getting. So at least we have a core background and a backbone that won't, you know, have us going to pills if someone says that we haven't done a beautiful job. So we have we have this going on. Yeah. So I'm working with the BFC on that. And this for me is a very, very important thing to do, because at the same time, I work with young designers. This is another interesting thing. I'm working with the youngest people in the industry because they see that my knowledge is of an assistant to them. So they don't want to work with each other now. They want to work with who has more depth and who has more knowledge. So, Because at the end of the day, right now, more than ever, the younger people that are coming up, they really need to understand stability. They need to understand what the paperwork really needs to be in order to sustain at least more than 10 years. So, you know, you've got We've got the opportunity now more than ever, not only to exist, but to also to help the newcomers coming up. Now, I can't do my job beautifully if I'm still not being put on. You put me on. 
then I can relate. Then I can say, for example, this is why I do this. And so for you then to take on board your new idea. Well, I, 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 I actually want to talk about this briefly. You know, you are a creative, but like, and including myself, I've had to take on dual roles or more than dual roles, let's say, as advisor as consultant yeah. in this DNI in this DNI space yeah. because I've lived it like you have lived it you have lived it and you know the players yeah. is there a bitter sweetness in that equation for you that you that you have to be something that you know let's say you weren't at the start of your career like you you're 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 an activist you're an executive in the DNI space at this at this time is there a bitter sweetness in in that or is there value just to be able to there, there's always, there, well, there's always going to be a bit of sweetness with 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 the way I feel. I mean, at the end of the day, I've I've made a lot of stars in this industry. Uh, one of them being probably the whitest singer songwriter on the planet. When I say white, white in the color of her skin, but not in her culture, because of course she's half Native yes. American. And we're talking about Tori Amos. Now, I've been her creative director, stylist for over 25 years. If I was white. And I did that. I would have gotten what Nicola right. Formichetti got, which is Mugler. He did Gaga for a minute. He got Mugler. I've done Tori Amos. Who Gaga down? And we have to we have to know that you have to. Okay. And no one. And you have worked with Tori for, for for like twenty for twenty years. Let's no. put let's put a let's put a frame to this. No, no, twenty. Okay. More like twenty-seven. Okay. I'm 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 okay. first out. Little Earthquake. So I came up with the concept. I thought I'm, I'm a creative director. Now, if I was a white girl, I would have a whole okay. thing for that. But because I'm a black girl, and I, she has even been told this, they resent the fact that I'm just a black girl from Brooklyn doing this girl who has started the trend in so many singer-songwriters and so many things in fashion. So many. Like the resentment, and she is even as you and Karen. I can't believe how people are behaving. Even maybe, maybe if there was might have been a time when the record label wanted to introduce her to English or white girls, and she was like, "I've got Karen. Why break something?" But Karen, have you taken these these grievances? Have you taken these grievances to the contemporary designers that you have the relationships with, to the Kim Joneses, to the Ricardo Tishis? Do you? Well, all that you know what. All the designers know because of it, but they will still hire and still work wow. with someone else that's not black and that is maybe doing a very bad copy of what I've done. Does it make and, I think, and I think it's difficult. Oh, no, no, Karen, it's not okay. It's, it's, not it's actually not okay. <laughs> you know, we can't, you know, we can't. <laughs> no, 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 no. Man, I say okay, meaning I'm not going to let it stop me from being. <clears throat> who I am and what I'm doing. And I'm right now, just to, just for the word, I'm working with one of the youngest, youngest, most globally fresh artists right now. Okay. His name is Wizkid from Africa. And he's had a choice. He has a choice of everybody he wants to work with. He was working with Karen Benz. Why? Because he's not playing games. He doesn't want someone telling him to wear <clears throat> a, a just, I don't know, just to wear a Saint Laurent suit because it's cool. He wants someone that has an idea for the project, that has the ability to come up with fresh ideas because of the knowledge that she has. She wants someone that has the stability of the industry and understands the core of what he can be as a brand. Not me photographing myself on my telephone looking at Texas, like, oh my God, here I am as a stylist in Paris on the street. Who gives two shits? What are you really creating? What are you doing and how are you inspiring the culture? So at the end of the day, there, this, is, this time has been one of my best times because i rather work with someone that sees what I can give. And that's all you want as a creative. You want the respect when someone books you 
that they understand what you can bring to the table. And, and I want to I want to underscore those two names, those two young designer names that you um, are currently working with, Karen, the Bianca Saunders and and Wiz Kid. I think it's important that they are they are noted. And we spoke about your historical work with Andre Walker, and that's just one of the historical designers that you've worked with. You have a storied history in this business, but I want to make sure that these contemporary names do come to the surface. And speaking of these contemporary names. Karen, one point that I have been sort of like drumming home on this podcast is that I'm quite I'm quite hung up on fashion <laughs> losing nearly all its critical thought. Is that a fair? <laughs> is that a fair criticism? <laughs> Listen, don't play no games with me. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you. That's why about Warhol when he died. There was no one to say, that's a piece of shit. Now, I do live, and I tell you the two people that I live for. I live for my girl who puts, who, by the way, puts me mm-hmm. and her name is Sarah Boa. I actually, Sarah is on the is on my list for this series. FYI, Sarah, I'm coming for you. I'm co- we've been, the conversation is happening. I'm coming for you. You have got to come to Sarah Boa. <laughs> She is no no joke, no games. And she, what she has done as far as pushing me through to the BFC, pulling me out of, she's actually pulled me out of a shell that I was actually in. And I didn't even realize it. So Sarah, big up gal, because she's real things, yeah? She's, um, you know, a working class English girl who has pulled herself up the rank with no apology. And she does not care if you like what she says or not. And she has been an incredible, I guess, how can I say it, supporter of what is possible for me to do as far as, you know, with the BFC, with diversity and inclusion, but in fashion in general, as a voice and a critic to be reckoned with. I also, you know, also a, uh, a contributor to show studio. So they call me in to share as well as speak about brands and fashion shows and things of that nature. And they say that um, with me, they, 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 there's no frills. I say it like it is. I'm straight up 100 and I have the receipts to back it up. So, you know, for me, it's like if we stop becoming critical, we shut things down that can be new possibilities. We must tell the truth. The emperor's new clothes, that shit is gone. It's time to wake up and tell it like it is. Like I said, there's a lot of these 2,000 Black coalition fashion people who've got no business dictating that this is how we all see fashion. How dare they? If I see one more... (laughs) Poetic justice look. I can't. But what, this, window. But this is a segue. Because, really? This is a segue, though, Karen, into the Black economy. Because I can't help but to observe in this conversation that we're not Black magazines the dearth of. Yes, we've, we've, we've spoken about the, the young Black designers, up-and-coming Black designers. But there is truly not a Black economy Karen, we don't, we have not developed that for our, for in this industry has been, well, obviously our swag and our influence has been co-opted. That's a whole other podcast as well. But in terms of the true economy, didn't you not just say at the onset of our conversation about how we may not have a home, but our wardrobe are going to be phenomenal because we need that currency in order to communicate out there in the world. But Karen, we're not talking about black owned. We're not talking about a black economy that we're, we're not. And I can't help but to but to recognize that fact in the richness of this conversation and how glaring that reality is. Darling, they won't let us through the door, boo. They're not letting us in. So you have your Virgil, who sportswear, Crosby Crid, Chicago. He 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 understood exactly what to hit on top of and run with it. I'm not mad at him. But that's just one category. We are a multitude of categories without giving the space. That's okay, though. 
because my aim is to develop this space and to develop it in a way where we become more than one, two, three categories. We become 20 like everybody else. We own our own business. Like we, be, we need to be an LVMH of our own. That's when shit will hit the fan. That's when the majors will understand. Hold on a minute. We're putting our money in the wrong space. And this is what we need to concentrate on. If we develop the new LVMH, we'll be unstoppable. Because at the end of the day, everyone, everyone wants to be a black girl. I don't care what anybody says. And when I say that, I mean with the attitude of one, with the strength of one, with the resilience of one. And that to me doesn't mean color. It means our hustle and our strength and our inner power that we're born with. And that's in everything we touch and do. We're not here to play games. Because like I said, we have to buy the Balenciaga shoe to get the job. That is a, that is a. At the end of the day, when another girl, the other girl could walk in with a dirty jean, okay? And a cheap wig that she saw from video and a baggy trouser and she gets the job. And what she's delivering is a third percent of what the other chick could deliver. Check that. Understand that. So this is what we're dealing with, which is shocking, but true. I mean, we can also bring back the whole situation of, you know, when I did the magazines, I was the only girl that did it. We did True Magazine which was like a black, not black, but say cultural, more cultural version of ID. And to me, ID was brilliant. And when we did True, we weren't trying to be right. ID. We were trying to be true to who we, were, who we were. And True blew up the spot. We blew up the spot. We blew everybody up. And then when it stopped, it turned into Trace, which is when I left. Because when it turned into Trace, it became a version of ID. That was not the initial idea. And that's what I'm talking about, us developing our own LVMH. Because if we try to do LVMH, we don't need to do LVMH. We just have to do culture. If we do culture. Within culture, you get luxury. Within luxury, you get good taste. We have to bring back good taste. And that means... And on, an, on an adjacent on an adjacent note, Karen, I, I, I took a look at your KarenBinsCreative.com. This is your website that essentially illustrates, that shows your work. But you use that to essentially elicit work or solicit work, rather. But Karen, the reason why one would think like, oh, you know, why, why is Jason speaking about a, a website? Every, everyone has a website. But A, not everyone has a website. But I just think as Black people, especially with the, the propensity for our culture and our contribution to be erased, it is incumbent upon us to claim and reclaim our contribution and put it in a place that it can be viewed. Like if you can't collate, you know, what you have put out there into the world to remind people or to show people what that is you have done, that's 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 all that's in a, a deficit right there. And so I have to I just have to just commend you on having that and having it be a credible calling card for 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 soliciting work. I again I, I thought it may seem like a rudimentary feature in one's in one's career these days, but I, I don't necessarily think so. I think it's something that is worth noting. No, 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 you know, I don't just, I agree completely. But you know what, I probably feel, maybe I've gotten, I've just been a bit busy on other things, but I feel really blessed this year for that reason, because, you know, I had, who's also an incredibly good friend of mine, who is a perfect representative of Black excellence in every sense of the alternative way, yes. which is Hilton Isles. He's one of my best, best, best friends. Hilton Isles just did a whole article on me okay. for the magazine called Luncheon. And this is a, a magazine on culture, which is incredible. And he just did like a six-page essay with photos on me. I was just in uh, 10 Magazine. This one was behind uh, bins, which is really funny. And I thought it was hysterical. It's just loads of like photos of me from Instagram and things and my point of view and from and things like that. And yeah, so it's like that was really, you know, a great amount of press this season. So that's why I feel from lockdown, I've had more put on 
that I've had for the past two years. And it's because people, I think, right now have felt guilty. They feel they need the receipts now to show that they are putting kids on and recognizing the importance of that. Also, not just about the this generation. What about us? We can't, we can't sustain. So just ignore all the work we've done. Ignore all the moves we've made in order for these people to continue today. You can't ignore that. You must understand what the legacy have, is in order to continue. And that goes for everyone, including the young Black players. And I know that you mentioned that earlier, but I want to reiterate that point. You know, there's a, there's a, a slew of, of young Black creatives that do not, they don't know who Karen Binns is. They don't know who Jason Campbell is. And we've been here, we have contributed, and we have the, we have the receipts. We have the receipts. This, this is going to be my final, this is going to be my final point for you, Karen. And I, this is actually a way as well of bringing Henrietta into this conversation because this is a, this is a dialogue I had with her uh, recently. And you'll have some play in this as well. And there's all this talk, Karen, of decolonization of museums, of literature, excising the scrooge of disinformation that is, um, that is a part of our history. Yet in England, yet in England, I see a throwback gesture. I'll call, I call it a throwback gesture. This is my this is my perspective. A throwback gesture that is about bestowing, you know, the daming and the knighting, the OBEs and so forth of the work. Um, um, uh, bestowing those kind of um accolades on professionals for their contribution to their respective industries. My- I brought this to Henrietta, and I, I have to tell you, as uh, someone from a colonial culture, being from Jamaica, and not even, I don't have to be from Jamaica, I'm just like a Black person, you know, in this world, I just feel that there's something quite backwards about that and something really quite sinister about that, that the colonization was such a scrooge on culture. We're still, we're still peeling back the layers of the incredible negative impact that it's had on on so many people. Henrietta, however, her feedback, she's an English woman, and she is a firm believer that Blacks should be bestowed the same accolades as their white counterparts. Okay, so essentially that's your response. But I'm of the other thinking. I'm of this, like, symbolically, this is an empty gesture. In fact, it's a dark gesture, so I want nothing to do with it. Explain your position for me. I mean, for me, I I was really excited to see that Pat McGrath finally got her dame. You know, she's now dame Pat McGrath. This is the first, like, in fashion. Like, this is unbelievable. At the same time, they know they had to give it to her because it was way, way overdue. Way overdue. Look how long for them to, to, take, to take it there with Edward. And look what he's actually done with it. You know, he has changed the face of the most <laughs> white privileged magazine on the planet and switched it up, turned it around, and now, not only is it great, it sells more. It makes more. <laughs> so if they start giving a lot more just desserts to the people that deserve it, they're going to see the results. And the results are always bigger. They're always bigger. Look what happened. Whether we agree or not agree of Virgil. Virgil goes into LV. They sell like hotcakes. I'm not saying it's good taste or bad taste in there. It is a point of view and it works. So if you're going to have these, you just put us in the same categories as these people. Like you said, give us the recognition. Put us in the room equally. Not put us in the room and throw us in the corner and only put two of us in the room or only put two types. I mean, for me right now, if I see another just African person in a photo shoot, there's about 2,000 different types of Black people. If I see one more of the same, I'm going to scream. We are all here. We are all Black. There's so many of us. There's so many different types of us. So, you know, to me, what you're saying, too, is a tangy version of a tokenism feeling that you're talking about. 
oh, they're just trying to like act like they really care. Let me just throw a few bones. You can no longer just throw a few bones anymore. Because right now you're also missing out on a livelihood, lifestyle, ideas, luxury, and money. So you're missing out on all these things where you're not, you're not putting us in the position we need to be in. Everybody. Yes, it most certainly did, actually. It most certainly did, Karen. And on that note, on that note, because essentially what you punctuated with is that there are many different types of Black people. So, yes, thank you. Thank you, Karen. I feel like I have to sit down and like let all of this information soak in. This is just <laughs> such valuable. And like, I, I've learned things from you that I did not know before. And this is just valuable. I, 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 I'm, I'm hoping that this will reach the ears of like particularly a lot of young black professionals, because I think this storyline, storylines like this is not out there enough. I think that, and I'm so glad you said you said your great friend Hilton Ailes just did a a, a pretty um, big article on you. There should be several huge articles on you because you absolutely deserve it. You you've been there. Oh, that's kind of to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that means be several. I don't know if that means several. I just think we all need to be put on. We all need to be put on. But I just want to make it clear, just to let you know. Bianca Saunders is a menswear designer, but WizKit is an is a recording artist. Excellent. So it's excellent. Oh, yes, actually, yes. I, I conflated. I conflated. There was two um, as two uh, design talents. Right, right. These are two of your projects. To be clear, thank you for that clarification, Karen, and thank you for such valuable information that you imparted uh, to me in this conversation. Well, I feel like this conversation is only partial. I know that there's something else that we have to actually there from this conversation. The tributaries, the tributaries that we have to travel down and explore further, and we will do so. But I look forward to seeing you in person. It's been a quite a long time. And after this pandemic, hopefully we'll have an Ibiza moment, hopefully yeah. as soon as this summer. <laughs> oh, just one other thing before I end this. Shout out to Lisa Cooper. Just say shout out to Lisa because... You know, I listened to you guys' podcast, and I just thought it was absolutely incredible. So just shout out to Lisa. You know, no games, girl. She's not playing. She's been in the game just like me. She's been in the hustle just like me, you know, and she's had to deal with a lot of nonsense. So, you know, she's still holding the door. Shout out to Lisa for sure. And, um... And it's not an accident that I have spoken to both of you in this forum. That is not, that is by design because you have both. Your contributions <laughs> are beyond. And I'm glad to have some of that, some of that recorded in this forum. So oh, thank you, thank Karen, you. for your time. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Enjoy. Thank you. <laughs> I will. Okay, <laughs> Time for something new uh, It's our time for coming through